here. I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Of course, you notice a pastor and his family are out of town as they are normally around this time of year back home visiting family. And uh, pastor asked me to fill in for him today. I thank him for his uh, his confidence in me and the, the opportunity to come before you this morning and bring the, the message, uh, uh, both uh, uh, morning services and then, uh, of course, this evening. And uh, for those of you that might not know me or maybe you forgot my name, my name is Corey Dam. And uh, so just uh, get acquainted a little bit. But we're going to be in John chapter 19 this morning. We'll look at uh, many other verses, but uh, the bulk of our text will be right here. And we're going to read the first 18 verses. So if you'll follow along as I read, a, read, a, read aloud John chapter 19. Notice the Bible says, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And went again into the judgment hall and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he them therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, I do thank you once again, Father, for this day, Lord. And uh, Father, I pray, Lord, that you bless this time that we have together, Lord, uh, uh, this time that we'll look into the scriptures, Lord. And uh, Father, I pray, Lord God, Father, that you help us to uh, see these truths, Lord God, Father, that I'll present this morning, Lord God. Father, I pray that our hearts be tender and sensitive to the message this morning, Lord God. And uh, Father, Lord, that we'll make applications of those things that we see here this morning. Uh, Father, I pray that you help me, Lord God, Father, uh, my desire is to be a blessing and a help to your people, Father, but more importantly, Father, I desire to glorify you. 
Uh, Father, bless us, Lord God. Father, have your will and your way in our hearts and our lives this day. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just recently, as many of you all know, I, I completed a Bible college. And uh, I did an undergraduate study, and from that I moved right into a graduate study. And during that time, uh, I enjoyed everything, that all the classes that I picked, all the ones I re- was required to take. Uh, I enjoy education. I enjoyed every one of them. Uh, but the ones that I enjoyed the most were those that focused on theology. Uh, in fact, uh, so you, you look at all the different uh, ologies that are, that are out there. Uh, we studied uh, a 10 in my undergraduate years. And then a, a nine, uh, because I decided to go ahead and major in theology for my graduate degree and looked at nine of, of the main uh, theological doctrines, if you will. And of course, one of those is the doctrine of Christology, which is the study of Jesus Christ. And so you delve into the scriptures and you, you draw out all those things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, uh, the pre-incarnate Christ, the incarnate Christ, the, the, the coming Christ. And uh, there's many wonderful, interesting things that you study about the person of Jesus Christ uh, in that study, in that doctrine called Christology. And uh, one of those things that you look at is that Jesus had two natures. Uh, he was a man. and yet At the same time, he was he was God. He, he had the nature of deity. And the interesting thing is, you, as you study Christology, you study that part of theology, uh, you find that throughout the centuries, theologians have struggled with that thought, how Jesus had a dual nature. How that he was God and how that he was man in the same person. And as they study that and as they ponder that from the scriptures, uh, some would focus more on his deity and less on his humanity, making him more God than man. Others would go the opposite route and study more on his humanity and less on his deity and making him more man than God, uh, focusing more on the one than the other. But the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus was fully divine and fully human. And that's what the Gospels show as you read through uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Uh, they, they, they show, and in fact, you, throughout the Bible you see it, but specifically in these four Gospels that chronicle his life on earth, you see that Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time with both natures in complete harmony. Now, now the interesting thing is, you, is those other theologians struggle with those two natures. Uh, some would also will almost make him schizophrenic, like those two natures were competing within him. And he had this this battle uh, going on between these two natures. But there was no battle. Uh, they were in complete harmony within the man, Jesus Christ. And that's what the Gospels present, that Jesus is the God man possessing a unified nature that is fully divine and fully human. And we see that in this text in, in, in uh, verse uh, five of John, chapter 19, at the very end. Notice what what. What uh, Pilate says here, he, he, he mentions, he talks about Jesus' humanity just very briefly, briefly here in this declaration. He says, behold, the man. And then if you drop down to uh, verse 14, he focuses very briefly on his deity when he says, behold, your king. Now, Pilate wasn't trying to uh, uh, start a theological discussion or a theological argument. In fact, uh, he didn't even say these things really seriously, but probably sarcastically, probably cynically, uh, as he dealt with the situation of of the religious leaders delivering Jesus Christ to be crucified, to be put to death. Uh, He didn't deal with the matter seriously. But I believe that nothing is recorded in the Bible by 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 accident, by happenstance. It's there for a purpose. It's there for a reason. And, And Pilate made these statements for a reason. And they're recorded here for a reason. And it's interesting, as you focus on those two things, behold the man and behold your king, 
You see this thought uh, throughout the Bible uh, many times over and over. I recorded just a couple of them uh, where these statements of Pilate are in tune uh, with some that are made in the book of Isaiah and, in, and then in the book of Zechariah. Isaiah said, uh, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 40, uh, 40, chapter 40, verse 9, uh, God said, Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Uh, there, God, through Isaiah, was focusing on the fact that Jesus Christ, who, who hadn't come yet, hadn't come in the flesh, is God. And then in Isaiah 42, 1, again, the Bible records, Behold my servant whom I uphold, that Jesus Christ was not only God, but he was a man. Zechariah chapter 6, 12 says, Behold the man whose name is the branch. And then in Zechariah 9, 9, Behold thy king cometh unto thee. And so in both of these uh, prophetic books, we see that both natures are dealt with, that Jesus is a fully a man and at the same time, he's fully God. What's interesting about these four statements, these four verses I just shared with you from Isaiah and Zechariah, they really capture the theme of the four Gospels. Isaiah 49, when, when, when God presents that Jesus is behold your God. Uh, what book focused on that aspect? Well, it was the book of John. John focused on the fact that Jesus Christ is the very son of God. In Isaiah 42, 1. Uh, the Bible says, behold, my servant whom I uphold. Well, the book of Mark focused on the aspect of Jesus being a servant. Zechariah uh, talks about behold, the man whose name is the branch. Well, it was Luke who focused on Jesus humanity, mainly that Jesus was fully was fully human, was fully a man. And then in Zechariah nine, nine, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. Of course, the book of Matthew was written primarily to the Jews presenting Jesus uh, as their king, not only their earthly king, uh, but their, their heavenly king. But these pronounce, though these pronouncements of Jesus are, are, are utterly profound, I think they require some further deliberation. And we're going to do that this morning as we look at John uh, chapter 19. We're going to look at many other verses. These two statements that Pilate made in verse 5 and then again in verse 14. We're going to dig down a little bit and, uh, and focus on, on those aspects of Jesus and then apply some spiritual truths uh, from that this morning. First of, first of all, I again direct your attention to verse 5. When Jesus said unto them, or not Jesus, rather, Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. Now, having just scourged Jesus, having just uh, the soldiers taking them and uh, using those cat of nine tails and receiving, no doubt, probably the, the 40 stripes uh, with, with that instrument and the, the, the mocking, uh, Pilate brings Jesus forth before the people, having just scourged him and makes this declaration. And as I studied that, as I look at this, and again, I don't think a pilot said these things seriously. Again, it was sarcastically, it was cynically. Uh, he brought, brought Jesus forth this way, saying, behold the man, because mainly he was trying to elicit some pity from the crowd. He was trying to get them to, co to commiserate with that person. You, you just imagine a person that just went uh, through that scourging that Jesus went, went through and then was brought before you. You saw him standing there bleeding and the flesh hanging off his body. You would think it would, would elicit a little pity, a little bit of commiseration out of those that were beholding this. But again, we, we notice the reaction in, in, in verse six. It says, when the chief priest, therefore, an officer saw him, what did they what did they say? They cried out, saying, crucify him, crucify him. They, they were not moved by this display. They were not moved by the fact that that Pilate just had scourged him uh, uh, for the, the crimes that they were presenting against Jesus. And of course, we're going to see that there were no crimes. But he brought him forth, really, to try to get them to... Because Pilate really wanted to release Jesus. Uh, I, he, three times he says, I find no fault in this man. He was looking for a way to release him. He thought, well, maybe after the scourging, 
They'll have pity and they'll let me release the man back unto them. And he says, behold, the man. But I want us to look to ponder these words on their face value. I want us this morning to behold the man, Jesus. The fact that there's a historical Jesus, a historical figure by the name of Jesus is really without controversy and without debate. Uh, Even secular historians record the fact that there was a man by the name of Jesus who lived on this earth. Now, they might not accept the fact that he was God, but they accept the fact that there was a person called Jesus that lived uh, some 2000 years ago. In fact, the only ones that that debated that reject this idea is that same fringe element or elements, I should say, that deny such things as the Holocaust or that man landed on the moon. Uh, They deny all kinds of crazy things that, that, that there's much fact to show that those things happened. But the majority of people, they, they acknowledge that there was a man by the name of Jesus who lived. In fact, the scriptures record his birth, uh, holding your place here in John chapter 19. Let's go back. We just celebrated the birth of Jesus. But let's go back to Luke chapter two this morning and we'll see that the Bible records his birth, that he came into this world as a man. Uh, Luke chapter two. Notice with me in verses six and seven what the Bible says. And so it was that while they were there, that is Bethlehem, the days were accomplished that accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Drop down to verse 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So the Bible records the fact that Jesus was born. It records his birth. But additionally, the word of God goes to great lengths to demonstrate and to prove that Jesus lived as a man. I I was kind of surprised that I went into this study uh, that it really kind of focuses on what we would consider some of the more routine or mundane aspects of his life. And you might sit and think, well, why why was that recorded in Scripture? Uh, Why 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 was that even made mention of? Because it uh, seems like such a little thing. If you accept the fact that Jesus was a man, that he actually existed, then, of course, we'd, we'd assume these things. But they're recorded that we, that we might not doubt that Jesus was at the same time fully man and fully human. So it records even such routine and mundane things as the following. Uh, the first is, is in Luke uh, chapter two, verse 52, that Jesus grew. The Bible says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. It records the same development that you and I go through. Uh, Jesus grew intellectually. That is, he grew in wisdom. He grew in stature, that is physically. Uh, he, he began as a child, but he didn't stay that little baby in the manger. He grew up to be a man. Uh, it goes on to say that he, that he grew in favor with God, that is spiritually. Jesus grew spiritually. And then uh, also with man, that is Jesus grew socially. The four aspects that you and uh, development stages that you and I go through in our life, Jesus went through as well because he was a man. Matthew 4, uh, chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 2 uh, after uh, the, the temptation in the wilderness, the Bible tells us that Jesus hungered. It says when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And in fact, hungered so much that the devil tempted him to turn the stones into bread. He, he had a physical body that desired nourishment. Not only did he hunger, but he became weary and thirsty. Uh, the Bible records in John chapter four, uh, Jesus was moving from uh, Judea back up to the air of Galilee and, and he must needs go through Samaria. And you know the story. Uh, they, they came through Samaria. He sat on the wall he, on the well and he met the woman that came out to draw water. And Jesus said this in, in John chapter four, verses six and seven. 
Or the Bible records this. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey. Notice that he was wearied with that, that travel because he had a physical body. Sat thus in the well to rest. Jesus, and then in verse 7, it says, Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. He thirsted. He, he required water, just like our bodies do. The Bible records that he slept in Mark chapter 4, verse 38. Uh, the disciples and Jesus are in the boat. They're on the Sea of Galilee. A great storm uh, uh, comes up. And where do we find Jesus? Uh, the, the, the pilots are, are at their wits end. They're afraid. They're, they're panicked. And in, in uh, Mark uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 38, the Bible says, And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. Uh, here they are thinking they're going to capsize and drown, and Jesus is asleep. His body required sleep. Jesus had emotions much like you and I. But he expressed those emotions uh, sinlessly. But a lot of times you and I express them sinfully, especially this one. He became angry. Uh, in Mark chapter 3, verse 5, the Bible records that there was a man. It was on the Sabbath day. Uh, there was a man with a withered hand. Jesus was dealing with the religious leaders and said, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day? They would give him no response. And the Bible records this. It says in, in Mark uh, chapter 3, verse 5, it says, He looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. Now, you and I, when I get angry most times, it's a simple type of anger. It's a petulant type of anger. But Jesus expressed the emotion of anger. God gets angry. God shows his wrath, but he does so sinlessly. And he became angry, expressed emotion. Of course, uh, uh, probably one of the most famous verses of the Bible, the one that most people like to memorize, the shortest verse, John eleven thirty five, at the tomb of Lazarus, the Bible records that Jesus wept. He felt compassion. He felt compassion for people, and so he wept. But he also worshipped and prayed to the Father. And we can see this throughout the, the, the Gospels many times. Uh, the Bible records that he arose uh, early uh, before uh, the day began and was out praying to his Heavenly Father, seeking a strength, a strengthening, if you will. And John 17 probably best captures that. Uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer, where Jesus is not only praying to the Father for his disciples and for what is about to happen, but he's also worshipping the Father, worshipping God. And so these verses record, like I said, some of the, uh, the, the routine details of his life uh, that he was a man. But Jesus was no ordinary man. In fact, he was extraordinary. He was an extraordinary individual. Uh, going back to uh, earlier in his life, uh, the, the book of uh, Luke, chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. You remember the story that he was about 12 years old. Uh, his family had went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And they left thinking that Jesus was in the midst about three days journey. And when they couldn't find him, they thought, well, <laughs> we better go back and find him. We lost our child. And where did they find him? Well, the Bible shows us in Luke, chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. It says they found him in the temple. Sitting in the midst of the doctors. Now, we're not talking about medical doctors, but those that dealt with the word of God. All right. Uh, the, the doctors that dealt with the law. They find him sitting in the midst of them, both hearing them and asking them questions at 12 years of age. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. As Pastor pointed out last week, uh, I, I've seen some phenomenal young people, uh, but none to this degree because Jesus was an extraordinary individual. Uh, he astonished those who had studied the scriptures all their lives with his understanding, with his answers, with his questions. I don't see any young people in the room, but we probably all could testify to this. Uh, we all probably had a, a little bit of struggle uh, being subject to our parents in all things. But Jesus was subject unto his parents in all things. Later in Luke chapter two, verse 51, the Bible tells us after they found him. Uh, there in the temple, it says he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. 
Now think again, he, he's not only just a man. I mean, that's the point we're proving at this point, but he was, he was also God. But yet he became subject to his parents. I look back at my life, and there are many times that, you know, I rebuffed mom and dad's authority in my life, uh, uh, their counsel, their wisdom. Uh, I paid for many of those. But Jesus didn't do that. He didn't give his parents a hard time. He didn't cut up. Uh, he, he, he didn't uh, 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 do uh, the simple things that you and I, I do. He was subject unto his parents in all things. The Bible also retor- uh, records that he taught with authority. Mark 1 Uh, Mark chapter one, verse 22 says they were astonished at his doctrine, that is his teaching, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Uh, In fact, there was one point in his ministry that they asked him, how does this man have this knowledge, uh, not having studied letters, not having studied uh, the the things that we have of the law? How does he have this knowledge? Well, as we know, it's because he, he was very God. He was very God at the same time. So he, he taught with authority. He spoke like no other man. Uh, the Bible tells us that the religious leaders sent officers to take Jesus. And in John seven forty six, when the, the religious leader said, why, why haven't you taken him? The officers answered, never man spake like this man. And in fact, if you look with me, if, if you're back over there in, in uh, the book of John, chapter 19, if you just look over a, a chapter before that in, in chapter 18, and this one astounds me, John 18 Verse five, of course, uh, uh, Judas is coming with a band of uh, uh, a band of people to come and, and get Jesus to bring him before the high priest. And as they got there, notice in verse five of John chapter 18, it says they answered it. Uh, let's start in verse four. Uh, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. Notice this in verse six. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Now, if I came to take a man and he spoke to me and, I, and knocked me on my on the ground, I'd be like, wait a minute. Who is this guy? They're not these people. They're like, oh, OK, we're just doing what the high priest says. And they they cuff him and they take him away. But at this point, you think these people would be like, this is no ordinary man. I mean, who speaks and knocks you to the ground? Well, Jesus did. He spoke like no other man. And then, of course, the, the, the main thing that we always focus on in his life is the miracles that he performed. Uh, there was a point where John the Baptist uh, doubted whether or not he was the Messiah and sent his disciples saying, are you the Messiah or look we for another? And what was Jesus response? What well, was recorded uh, in the Bible here in, in Luke chapter seven, verse 22, it says, then Jesus answering said unto them, go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. The dead are raised to the poor. The gospel is preached. I submit before you this morning that he was no ordinary man. He was a man, but not an ordinary man. Yet beside all of this, Jesus was a man without fault. Uh, The Bible records in Hebrews 4.15 that he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin. Uh, Back here in the chapter in John uh, John 18 and 19, three times Pilate says, in 1838, in uh, 19.4, and then again in uh, 19.6, Pilate says, I find no fault with this man. I find no fault in this man. Now, of course, Pilate was just looking at the matter which he was investigating. But if he would have dug farther, he would have found there was no fault at all in the Lord Jesus Christ. There was no fault in these charges leveled against him. But he was out without sin. He was a perfect man. And in fact, earlier in Jesus ministry, he had asked the religious leaders in John eight forty six. he said, which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, 
Why do you not believe me? None could convict Jesus of lying nor any other wrongdoing. The, 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 the high priest couldn't do it. In fact, what, what did they resort to when they actually came to take him, when they came to accuse him? Well, the Bible tells us since there were no witnesses of any wrongdoing, there were no witnesses of any sin, the religious leaders sought out false witnesses, those who testify falsely against the man Jesus. The Bible records in Matthew 26, 59 and 60. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death. But notice this, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none, because none of them could agree in their false testimony against the man Jesus. There was no fault in this man. And the, uh, the above evidence ought to lead us to the conclusion that Jesus is more than a mere man, that he is, in fact, God. And we're going to look at that here in a moment. I just recently had a dear friend. Uh, he was in the area, stopped by and spent some time with uh, uh, my family and I, had a meal with us. And uh, as we were talking about biblical things, uh, uh, he highlighted this, uh, which I'm going to share with you now, that, that kind of uh, helped me in this study, but uh, also in my witnesses uh, to lost people. But in John chapter 4, there's a progression uh, in how the, the woman at the well saw Jesus. There was a progression. When, when he first came on the scene, she, she saw him just as a man. He, he said, uh, give me to drink. And, and she just looked upon him as any other man. But as she continued in conversation and dialogue with Jesus Christ, uh, she realized that he was much more than a man. In fact, she said, I perceive thou art a prophet. She went to that next level. You're, you're more than a man. I perceive thou art a prophet. But at the conclusion of that interaction with Jesus, notice her words, uh, what she said here in the John chapter 4 and verse 29. As she went into the city, she said, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? But there was a progression. She didn't see him that way right away as he sat on the well and said, woman, give me to drink. She saw him as a man, but then a prophet. And then finally, as Christ, the anointing with the Messiah, the son of God himself. Which brings us to Pilate's next statement in verse uh, chapter 19 and in verse 14, when Pilate says, behold, your king, behold, your king. And with this statement, what Pilate was doing again Notice he said, behold, your king, not my king. Uh, he, he didn't believe Jesus was king. All right. He was afraid. Uh, in, in verse 7 of chapter 19, the Jews answered and said, said uh, answered him, we have a law and by our law he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. And in verse 8, the, the Bible says, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And he, he sought other opportunities to release Jesus. Who are you? Where are you from? But he said this, this, this declaration here, behold your king, to throw back the charge that was leveled at Jesus, to throw it back into the face of the religious leaders. Hey, this is the charge you're bringing him on. So therefore, behold your king. Behold your king. And notice their response again. The response in, in John 19, verse 15, but they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. Now, they weren't Caesar's friend before Jesus came on the scene. They were hoping Caesar got overthrown. In fact, deep down inside, they were still hoping that Caesar was overthrown. But they had their hatred was so great against Jesus. They'd rather have Caesar than Jesus, the very son of God. And so their, their response was, was away with him. Again, Pilate was fearful. Pilate sought opportunities to, re, to release Jesus and when I first uh, wrote in my outline, I said, 
I said, though he was fearful, he was unable to release Jesus. But but that's not really a true statement. He was able. Uh, He was the governor. Uh, He had the authority to release Jesus. It wasn't that he was unable, but he was unwilling. He was unwilling. Because even though he was afraid that the the Jews said uh, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Notice in verse uh, uh, verse, uh, 12 and 13, it says, And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go... Thou art not Caesar's friend. Now, who did Pilate serve? Caesar. And he wanted to be on, in Caesar's good graces. He wanted to be in Caesar's favor. And the, the, the Jews said, Whosoever make himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth. Uh, he didn't want to go against Caesar. So it wasn't that he was unable to release Jesus. He was unwilling because he still wanted to please a man. Uh, he, he desired the favor of a man more than the favor of God. And so it wasn't that he was unable to release him. He was unwilling to release him. And this gentleman, Frederick Ferrara, as I, as I studied, I thought there was an interesting statement of the struggle that was going on with Pilate. In fact, uh, uh, Pilate sought to release Jesus by one. He said, you, you, you take him and judge him under your law. Well, that didn't work. And, and so then he tried to send him to Herod. And, and, and well, he did send him to Herod. But when Herod examined him, Herod said, well, I, I find no fault with the man and sent him back to Pilate. So it, the hot potato was passed back in his lap. And then he said, I know, I'll exchange, I'll, I'll release one unto you. Uh, who would you rather have, Barabbas, that this man was uh, guilty for sedition and murder, or Jesus? And of course they chose a murderer over the very Son of God. So, so Pilate looked for ways to release Jesus. But this man, Frederick Farrar, uh, captures, if you will, makes this observation of the struggle that Pilate, no doubt, was going on inside him. He says, panic-stricken, the unjust judge, in obedience to his own terrors, consciously betrayed the innocent victim to the anguish of death. He who has so often prostituted, prostituted justice was now unable to achieve the one act of justice which he desired. He who had so often murdered pity was now forbidden to taste the sweetness of a pity for which he longed. He who had so often abused authority was now rendered impotent to exercise it for once on the side of right. Not because he was unable, because he was unwilling. Caesar meant more to Pilate than he did, than Jesus did. And in fact, just like the woman of the well, Pilate, the woman, the religious leaders all came to a point of decision, to a point of choice in their lives. Was it Jesus or Caesar? And unfortunately, they rejected Christ and chose Caesar. They refused to accept the fact that Jesus truly is king, that is the son of God. Not only is he a man, but he is the very son of God. Behold your king. The scriptures make this point abundantly clear. Notice the following verses. Going back to the pronouncement of Jesus' birth, birth uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 35, the angel Gabriel appeared to uh, the Virgin Mary and said, He shall be great and shall be co- called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Uh, talking about Jesus, not only a heavenly king, but an earthly king. He was going to inherit the throne of his father, David. And we see this in the two genealogies of Jesus, both in Matthew 1 and Luke 4. Uh, Jesus had right to be an earthly king. But beyond that, the, the Bible says, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called, notice this, the Son of God. We have the testimony of an angel from heaven that Jesus was none other than the son of God. But also we have the the testimony of John the Baptist that Jesus, uh, a baptism, John 134, the Bible says, John the Baptist speaking. And I saw and bear record that this is the son of God. 
Matthew 8, 29, the devils even recognized who Jesus was. As Jesus was casting out uh, demons and unclean spirits, uh, Matthew 8, 29 says, And behold, they, the devils, cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? They recognized who he was, not, not in a, 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 a way of faith to accept Christ, but they knew who he was. They knew the power that he had. Matthew 14, 33, the disciples recognized that again uh, when, when he calmed the storm. The Bible says, then they, the disciples, that is, that were in the ship, came and worshipped, worshipped him, saying, of a truth, thou art the son of God. Matthew 16, 16, uh, Jesus came to the disciples and said, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some, some, some say Jeremiah, some say some other prophet. He said, but who do you say, who do you say I am? And in Matthew 16, 16, the Bible says, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. John 10, 36, Jesus speaking of himself, self said, Say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, Thou blasphemest, because I said I am the Son of God. Mark 15, 39, the centurion at the cross, as Jesus was being crucified, bear witness and testified. The Bible says, And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. And then John twenty thirty one, the disciple, the apostle John records, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And in fact, again, the book of John portrays Jesus as the Son of God. But the question we need to ponder this morning is, who is Jesus to you? We see who he was to Pilate. We see who he was to the religious leaders. They only saw a man. They rejected him as king. They rejected him as God. The woman accepted him. But who is Jesus to you? Just like the woman at the well, Pilate and the religious crowd, every man must make a choice. You must make a choice if you haven't already. And if you have embraced him, if you have accepted him, you must make a choice every day. Who is king of your life? Is it something else or is it Jesus Christ? If he is only a man, then I have a sad news for you. He can't help you. He can't save you from your sins. You're still lost in your sins and are no hope. If Jesus is only a man, he could not save you. But praise God, he is not only a man. He is the very son of God as recorded in Scripture. But then let, let me ask you these two questions. First of all, to those that might be unsaved in the room this morning, if there's a time, if you can't look back to a time in your life where you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me ask you this question. If, as we looked at the Scripture this morning, you've seen that Jesus is not only a man, but also the King, that is the Son of God, as the Bible claims him to be, then why not embrace him today before it's too late? What hinders you from, from embracing him? Uh, the evidence is irrefutable. You, you can't deny the evidence is there. And I've only looked at a few scriptures. Uh, let me tell you, uh, when I started this, my outline had so many scriptures, uh, I think it was like four or five pages long. And, and notice the fact that even John records, I, I like this, uh, the book of John, uh, chapter 21, and uh, verse uh, 25, he says, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written, every one, I suppose that I suppose that even the world itself cannot contain the books that should be written. Amen. We just have these things. And it's very evident that Jesus is not only a man, but he is the son of God. And if you see that this morning, which I hope you do, because the, the, the scripture gives great evidence to that point. What hinders you from embracing him and accepting him as your savior today? In fact, why don't you embrace him before it's too late? Do you know that you only have a limited time to accept Christ as your Savior? 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. T today is the, is the right day to do it. Don't put it off till tomorrow because you don't know what another day will bring. I don't know if I have another day. I don't know if I'll live beyond this day. 
That's why it's important that as soon as you're convicted, if you're here this morning without Christ, that you accept him now. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9.27, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Hey, once you pass out of this life, it's too late. Uh, we see that with the rich man in, in, in the book of Luke, chapter 16. Uh, once he died, there, there was no recourse for him to accept God. He had to do it within his lifetime. But he didn't. He rejected Christ and he went to a devil's hell for all eternity. And you and I have a limited time on this earth. It's a point unto us once to die. It's a very fact that we're all going to die. But after this, the judgment and that judgment, that great white throne judgment is recorded in, in the book of Revelation, verses 11 and 12. And the Bible says, and I, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the book according to their works. You, one day, if you, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says you're going to stand before a judgment, the great white throne judgment. And the books are going to be open, recording your, what you think are your good deeds as well as your bad deeds. But the book that's most important is the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. If, you, if your name is not recorded there... It does not matter what's recorded in those other books because all that will matter in that day, did you accept Christ or did you reject him? And if you rejected him, that's why you're standing in that judgment and you'll be cast into a devil's hell for all eternity. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11 tells us that, that all, all right, going to give glory to, to Jesus Christ. Every, every, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have you confessed him in this life? Again, it's so very important because if you pass out of this life without confessing that, you will one day recognize and acknowledge that he is that he is Lord, that he is God. But it'll be too late. It'll be too late. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're saved. And I ask you this question. If he is not only a man, but also the king that is the son of God and you have embraced him. Are you are, are you serving him faithfully today and every day? Is he really king of your life every day? Is he sitting upon the throne of your heart? Either he is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. Is he completely Lord of your life? Now, I'm not standing up here to say that, that, that I'm better than you and, and, and that I don't struggle in this regard as well. Uh, we're, we're in all points tempted uh, the, the same way. Romans uh, 10, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us that uh, we're, we're a flesh and we're, 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 we face the same temptations. And I struggle with this as well, trying to put other things on the throne of my heart. But the only one that belongs there is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if he is Lord, why don't we let him be Lord every day and serve him as we ought to? Again, we only have this life to serve Jesus Christ. Well, I, I take that back. We're going to serve him for all eternity. But only in this life, what we do for Christ will, will result in rewards or loss. Because we also will stand in a judgment. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. It's recorded in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. And the Bible says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Hey, if you're a believer here today, praise God for that. You can't lose your salvation. But we're all going to stand before Jesus Christ one day. And our life's going to be evaluated from the day of salvation onto our departing from this earth. What have we done for Christ? And either something's going to come out of the other side of that judgment fire and we'll receive rewards. And, and Jesus will say, well done, that good and faithful servant. Or it will all be burned up. It will stand before the one who gave all for us with nothing to present back to him. We only have this life to, to serve and live for him, to receive those rewards, to glorify him in that day. But many of us, I'm afraid, are like the Apostle Peter in Acts 10, 14. 
Uh, he had the vision, the, the vision of the unclean animals in the great sheet as it came down. Of course, God was re, through, through a vision, through a dream, was, was showing Peter that the gospel not only went, was to go to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And he said, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord. Now, as pastor has pointed out many times, how can those words be in the same sentence? How can Jesus be Lord of your life and you say, Not so? <laughs> if, you, if you say, Not so, then is he really Lord? Does he really have any control or ruler of your life if you say not so, Lord, when he directs you to do something in your life? Luke 6, 46, Jesus said this. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? If he's really Lord of your life, why don't we do all that he says? Why don't we surrender all and give all to him like he did for us? What's, what's keeping us back? What's holding us back? He's not only a man, but he's also a king. February 7th, 1966. The 101st Airborne Division being deployed to Vietnam was in a battle at Mai Khan. And the first of the 327th Infantry was, was pinned down under heavy, withering fire. Uh, so much so that they, they couldn't move. The, the fire was so interlocked, uh, so tight, that they, they were pinned and can't move. Now, if you know anything about, uh, about the military, about military battles, if you can't move on the battlefield, you're soon to be annihilated. The enemy's getting ready to wipe you off the battlefield. Uh, so they called in, uh, it, it basically was a, a long range reconnaissance platoon to help, to come help them, uh, deliver them, to, to, to break contact from the enemy so that they could move, get into better positions. And, and, and so this platoon came and as they moved into the area, they also got pinned under the heavy fire and they couldn't move. And the executive officer got on the phone and with great urgency, speaking to First Lieutenant James Alston Gardner said, Jim, you need to take care of those four machine gun nests now. And Lieutenant Gardner grabbed all the grenades that he could and as his men provided covering fire, raced across the rice paddy and one by one knocked out each and every one of those machine gun bunkers. But at, at the fourth one, the enemy took him out. And for his actions, he received the Medal of Honor. But as I read that book, the executive officer, the commander that, that, that gave him this urgent order to, to go and, and to take out these guns so that they could move and get into a better position as the day was, was drawing to a close, night was falling. As he did this and, and, and lost his life, that executive officer, that commander said that he went for many years with great guilt because the urgency, the force of his command, of his words, caused this man to give his life to take out those machine gun nests. Now I'll submit to you that this, this executive officer, this commander, was only a man. And this is only one example uh, throughout our military uh, history of men being given an order and they give their very lives at the order of a man. But we serve the living God. Do we give him the same respect to his commands, to his orders as we do to a man? Are we like Pilate and the religious leaders? We want to give more reverence to a man than to God? I hope not. If we ought to give more reverence to God, we ought to give our life completely to him. He is more than a man. He is the son of God. He is the savior of the world. John has written these things again in, in, in John chapter 20, verse 31, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. And that for those, those of us are saved, that we might serve him obediently and wholeheartedly. So the question this morning is, what are you going to do with Jesus? If you're, sa if you're unsaved this morning, what are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to accept him? Are you going to reject him? If you're saved this morning, what are you going to do for Jesus? Are you going to serve him obediently and faithfully? I hope that you will. I hope that I will. That we'll give him the reverence that he is because he's not only a man, but he is very God. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, Lord God, I do thank you, Father, for this morning, Lord God. Again, I thank you, Father, for this opportunity, Lord God, Father, to bring this message. Uh, Father, I pray, Father, for myself and these here in this room, Lord God. Uh, uh, Father, you know uh, each and every heart, Lord God, Father. I, I don't know who's saved and unsaved, Lord God. I, I've heard the testimony of uh, uh, many in this room, but only you know their hearts. And Father, I pray, Lord, if there be one here this morning or maybe listening on Zoom that does not know your son, Jesus Christ, their Savior. Father, I pray, Lord, that from our study this morning, Lord God, that they realize that he's not only a man. He's not just an extraordinary man, but he is the very son of God. He is the Savior. And I hope that they embrace and accept him today, Lord, while there is time. For those of us that are saved, Lord God, Father, Lord, may we dedicate our lives to him, Lord God. We're, we're ending 2023, going into 2024. Lord, may 2024 be a banner year for each and every Christian, Lord God, Father, as we firmly let you sit on the throne of our hearts, Lord God. Father, lose our life, Father, for your sake and that of the Gospels. And Father, in all things, let you be glorified. With your eyes closed and uh, your heads bowed, I ask you to stand to your feet this morning. We'll have a time of uh, uh, imitation. I'll meet you down front. If you're, you're here this morning and, and you're not saved, uh, if, you, if you were to say, Brother Corey, uh, uh, I, I do not know that my sins are forgiven. I, I don't know that heaven will be my home. Uh, we'd love nothing more than to take God's word and show you that. If you come this morning, I'll have somebody sit down with you and show you from the Bible how you can know that. But if you're here saved this morning, oh, I pray that you, you dedicate your life to living for God, not only this day, but each and every day. Will you come?